Billie Jean King, the great um, female tennis champion, um, she said um, that pressure is a privilege. And um, you have to sort of, I mean, sometimes people want to shy away from pressure, but if you're feeling pressure, if you have pressure, uh, you've earned that. And um, uh, it's really a privilege to have. It's a privilege to be in that situation where other people are looking at you to to perform. And so um, I hold that very dear as well. Here we go again, everybody. Happy Tuesday. On this episode, I am joined with Dr. Peter Yu to talk secret lives of surgeons, general thoracic and trauma surgery. Today, we dive into the life of a pediatric surgeon. We talk true grit, drive, and compassion, operating under stress, and mentally training with an athletic mindset, showing up for yourself and going beyond to achieve great outcomes for patients. Dr. Yu speaks about focusing on the things you can control, attitude before success, embracing uncomfortable situations, and persevering with full effort. I hope you are all staying well. This particular episode was recorded pre-COVID times uh, back at the end of February, beginning of March. And some things in the hospitals have shifted, including surgeries, but I still feel like this is a really timely episode as we dive into the life of a pediatric surgeon. This episode goes all over. I was fascinated with Dr. Yu's perspective on surgery and his journey to become a pediatric surgeon. So I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. And with that, let's welcome Dr. Peter Yu to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you so much, time. And I know you are a very busy man, so I really, really, really value your time. So thank you. Um, so there's sort of a couple of reasons why I wanted to bring you in here today. I am very fascinated, first of all, by people who are um, operate at very high levels and um, not only that, you're, you know, kind of dabbling in this healthcare meet social media space and you're kind of going into new realms yourself. And so I thought it'd be really fun to bring you in here, hear about your journey um, and sort of learn a little bit more about the man behind the knife. Great. Let's talk. Fabulous. So let's start at the beginning. Um, where did your journey, your surgical journey, uh, becoming a doctor, where did that all begin? Well, um, I largely grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, it was a great town to grow up in, a very family-centered town and a huge sports town. Um, my older brother went to Stanford University, and so I wanted to do, to do everything that he did, and so that's where I ended up going as well. Afterwards, I went to medical school at the University of Missouri, and then I came back out to California and did my um, residency at the University of California, San Diego. That's also where I met my wife. And um, <clears throat> the way that uh, general surgery works, um, uh, for some people who choose to do it, uh, you can do two years of research uh, in addition to the five clinical years of training. So I, I did two years of research at, at UCSD under the direction of Dr. Andrew Lowy, who's uh, just a brilliant uh, surgical oncologist and uh, one of my mentors. Mm -hmm. And then I did a um, pediatric uh, surgical critical care fellowship at Boston Children's Hospital. Um, And then after general surgery residency, I went to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for a pediatric surgery fellowship. Um, And then um, when I was all finished, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment because I... (laughs) Many of you are. Yes. Yeah. I... um, 
uh, got my master of public health from Johns Hopkins. So in total, how long from start to finish, beginning your journey till becoming a surgeon? Well, med school was four years and um, my entire surgical training took about 10 years. So that that would be, I guess, 14 years after college. And then I um, got the MPH as the cherry on top. (laughs) That was done um, while I was working already as a pediatric surgeon at chalk. Uh And so that was, that took me about two years. What's the reason you wanted to go back for that? Just curious. Like what's your, I, I am interested in research Okay. and, uh, the MPH was a tool to help improve my, um, research abilities. And so that's largely why I pursued that. Did you always know you wanted to be a surgeon or like, where did this, you know, where did that kind of come from? Where did that originate? Well, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from a young age. Um, my dad is quite a bit older. He, he passed away a few years ago, but he went to medical school in China. And uh, um, he finished medical school and he was doing his internship when um, the Communist Party was really starting to exert its influence. And it was really dangerous at that time for people who were educated. Yeah. Right. And he knew that he needed to leave China or he would likely meet uh, an untimely demise. Mm -hmm. And so he escaped China. And uh, that story is really fascinating. That's a whole other podcast. But he escaped China and went to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong to Taiwan and then ultimately to the U.S. But it was my father who influenced both me and my brother to become physicians. Um, So um, that's how I knew I wanted to become a doctor When I was in medical school, I knew one thing for certain, and that was that I did not want to be a surgeon. Um, (laughs) I was I was pretty convinced of that. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But there's some negative stereotypes about surgeons, and so that (laughs) turned me off. But really, I found that surgery was awesome and super appealing, and um, uh, we can talk about that part later too. But ultimately, it was in medical school that I decided I wanted to be a surgeon. Yeah, that's interesting. How did you ultimately end up in Orange County area? You're at one of the finest children's hospitals. How did that come to be that you ended up there? Well, um, as I mentioned before, I did my residency at UC San Diego, and that's where I met my wife. Um, She was raised in San Diego, and she was a nurse, um, a really great nurse at UC San Diego. Amazing. Um, And so uh, because of uh, our shared love of San Diego and Southern California, we were hoping to be able to come back to this area when all my training was done. Um, so we really looked for jobs and I was just so elated to find an opening at Children's Hospital of Orange County, Chalk. Uh, it's a hospital that I'm just really proud to be a part of. It's a hospital that's growing um, yeah. like crazy and it's really uh, has gone from you know many decades ago being a small community hospital mm-hmm. to now setting its sights on being um, a nationally ranked uh, reputable leading academic research and, and clinical um, hospital and so I'm just really happy to be at Chalk. It's nice to work somewhere where you feel it you pu- you feel the pulse of it. Exactly. You know, it's, it is it's really nice to do that. Is your wife still practicing or what, what was her specialty as a nurse? Or? Oh she did a lot of different things. She um she started off in the ER, then she worked in the surgical ICU. Oh. She worked, she was a trauma nurse in the surgical ICU at UC San Diego, which is a big trauma yeah, program. Yeah, that's a huge one, right. 
And then when she traveled with me, she um, she was a CVICU nurse at Boston Children's Hospital. She worked in the NICU at CHOP in Philadelphia. And then when we came to Chalk, she worked um, in the PACU, in the recovery unit yeah. after surgery. And right now she works at Hogue. I was going to say, that's actually kind of funny. She'd be recovering some of your... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, hey, honey. Right. Hi. Yeah, we were a package deal for, for many years. Most recently, she's now at Hogue, which is obviously yeah. an adult hospital. Very cool. Uh, so your specialty, you're obviously a surgeon. Um, and there's a lot of different varieties in that particular field. Um, pretend you're talking to like a 20, your 21 year old, you know, self or someone younger who's not understanding. Can you give a breakdown of, um, the specialties or like what you do specifically as a surgeon? Sure. Uh, in my specialty, um, we call ourselves pediatric surgeons. Um, so on one hand, that's true. We are surgeons and we operate on children, but, um, more specifically, we are general surgeons. We are thoracic surgeons, uh, and we do other things like trauma. And in my case, I'm interested in fetal surgery as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what that means is we operate all over the body, um, but we're really the experts on problems uh, with organs inside the abdomen and organs inside the chest, except for the heart. There's cardiac surgeons that really just focus on the heart. Yeah. So we really do a lot of different surgeries. Uh, very common bread and butter surgeries are appendicitis, so appendectomies, gallbladder surgery, intestinal surgery, lung surgery, uh, management of trauma patients, etc. I feel like pediatric surgeons or anyone in this realm, it's truly epic and quite magical the things that you can do for these human beings. It's amazing. And you know, not to toot your own horn for you, but you practice at a premier children's hospital, right? You're saving lives. You're making changes. How do you mentally stay in the game for that? Like what, how do you mentally go to the place of like, you know, this is, it's, you're such a high functioning individual. Like how do you stay there? What, what do you do in your life to do that? Well, just like anybody, we all have moments where the game I'm making air quotes right now uh, <laughs> surrounding the game, but right. um, we all have moments where things seem to come easily and flow. And yeah. there's also times where uh, there is a, a feeling that it's a grind. Um, that doesn't mean that taking care of children is a grind. Who I am. Um, throughout my years of swimming, I know this isn't a swimming podcast. This is a, a medical <laughs> podcast, but, but, um, I've, you know, learned along the way to, um, have certain mentality like, um, uh, Michael Phelps, who's, uh, the greatest swimmer in swimming history, uh, talks about having something called a gold medal attitude, um, which means, you know, having a positive can do, uh, spirit, which you need to have before you win your gold medal, not afterwards. It, you have to have the attitude first before you can have success. So that's one of the things that helps me. Uh, one of the things that my swim coach, uh, Duffy Dillon, taught me early on was uh, not to worry about the uncontrollables, only worry about what you can do. Um, and when you focus on that, there's really a lot of things then that you don't need to worry about. Right. Um, and there are times when things are tough. Um, but one thing that I learned in swimming is to just embrace, embrace the pain and embrace the 
uncomfortable feeling embrace those things because that's yeah like what... push yourself outside the hospital setting in a way that you know kind of stimulates you and... exactly yeah. exactly right so you like to swim mm-hmm. um let's go micro on i like hearing there's a podcast that i listen to um sort of like my hallmark moment it's the him and her show and they like to really go like dive deep and go micro into high functioning individuals and so I want to go into that. Like, what does your day look like? What do you, let's, let's go to like, where you, what do you eat for breakfast? What do you, what time do you wake up? Like where, you know, how do you navigate your day? Well, I'm a morning person. I've always been a morning person. So I get up pretty early. I usually wake up around 4.30 or 4.45. And at this point in my life, it feels pretty natural right. to wake up that early. Um, I usually stretch and got to have my coffee. <laughs> and then I go to swim practice at 5.30 in the morning and I swim um, for about an hour and 15 minutes with a master swim team. And uh, I really try to hit that workout as hard as possible. And that kind of sets my day up for, for success and for a good feeling. I feel like I've already accomplished something really early on. That's something that I've heard a lot from um, many individuals, highly successful individuals, where you are setting your day up First, getting your head right, doing what you need to sort of, you know, get your head right and then start your day. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think I'm not a military person, but I I have heard some interviews where, um, you know, military leaders talk about the importance of making making your bed in the morning and and doing a really good job because... Mm -hmm that is one accomplishment that you can look back on immediately yes. and you know you've done something well. Yeah. And so for me, um, that's one practice. And, and I also feel, I feel great afterwards. I, you know, you have a little bit of a swimmer's high or a runner's high. Right, and get your endorphins going. Get exactly. The, yeah, exactly. Dopamine, epinephrine, all the things. Right. So you swim in the morning and then... I'm, at, I'm usually at work by about 7.15 or so. The first operation of the day, if I'm operating on a, a given day, usually starts at 7.30. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have one or sometimes several operations booked for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, other parts of my day include meetings. Uh, most of us who work have meetings of some sort. Um, I do research some days. So some days I'm just kind of behind a computer um, doing research, which for me is outcomes-based or data-based, so I don't need to be in a lab. Right. Um, we take call uh, in the hospital one day a week. So one day a week, I'm sleeping overnight in the hospital. Okay. And usually, that's also usually one weekend a month as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is that for like trauma surgeries or mm-hmm. like, okay, got it. Exactly. We, if we were not a trauma center, then um, I might be able to take call from home, mm-hmm. but since we are a trauma center and have to be available for emergencies, then, then the, the pediatric surgeons sleep in the hospital. Right. Um, I eat breakfast when I'm free for a while I was doing the intermittent fasting thing, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't do that as frequently anymore. Um, you talked about, what do you eat? <laughs> <laughs> what do you... My, my favorite, I, I'll eat, um, I mean, I'm not a picky eater, but my favorite breakfast um, is like uh, an oatmeal that I'll mix with um, flax seeds and chia seeds and stuff like that. I'll add a bunch of fresh fruit to it. I love berries and apples and papaya, and then I'll add nuts or nut butter. And that's that's sort of my favorite breakfast. That's what the breakfast that I made for myself this morning. Um, I've been, for the last couple months, I've been sort of 
experimenting with a uh, largely a plant-based diet. Yeah, and, that's a um, new thing. Jacob and I are kind of doing that as well. Yeah, it's been really good. I yeah. I have a friend who started that, one of my best friends, and he's been he's a runner and a cyc- cycler, cyclist mm-hmm. and he's been just running crazy fast times. Right. And uh, I asked him how he was doing it, and he attributed it to this diet. clean, healthy, plant-based diet. Yeah. And so I tried it. I, I watched a video on Netflix called Game Changers, which yes. maybe some people have heard of. That's so good. We watched that, too. We switched over all of our, like, for example, all our, we don't do dairy anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we do nut juices. We have a nut juice maker. You know, we're really getting into it. I think it's kind of, we still do a little bit. I would say, like, we do eggs. Um, and we do some other things, but it's kind of a nice, I do feel like I feel a difference. Yeah. I, you know, for me, I'm 42 and, uh, going back to the, the swimming part of my life, it has really allowed me to recover between practices so that I can go to each, each new practice feeling fresh and, and sort of ready to rock, which I like. Right. Um, but back to my day, um, you know, yeah. afternoons could be operating. It could be more meetings. It could be research. If if I have a light day, which um, is becoming fewer and farther between, I might <laughs> I might yeah. leave a little early and try to do a run or a lift. Okay. Um, and then um, the rest of the day is spent with my family. I've got kids and I'm married, and yeah. so spending time with the family. How old are your kids? My kids are all about to age up so they're all about to be nine seven and five so okay. they're we're entering a oh, new you're phase That's yeah awesome. yeah it's That's great really cool what time do you go to bed like do you have a bedtime routine yeah i i usually go to bed pretty early because i'm up early right. and um good good night's sleep really helps me be prepared for the next day so right. some nights is it's as early as 8 30 which i know sounds a oh little bit ridiculous <laughs> Uh, some nights it's nine thirty. Well, I think okay. So here's the thing: I am not a martyr for like um, not getting. I I feel like sleep is very important. And I think we're on the forefront of really talking about that about mm-hmm. how important sleep is. My problem is I can't get to sleep right away. Yeah. Do you have any tricks? Like, how do you do? You just feel like you're just tired and you just go to bed, or do you have like a night? No. Do you read at night? Yeah, I do read at night. I mean, for me, it's an important. It's important if I can to have it about an hour to wind down. Yeah. And as much as I love my family and my kids, it's yeah. not always relaxing spending yeah. time with them. Totally. They're always wanting stuff, right? Which is totally understandable. So, right. if we'll I can be there one day, this is why we yeah. haven't had kids. We're like we're eventually gonna have children, but I'm like I know that you know you're gonna you your life it changes very drastically. Oh, it does, and. and <laughs> For the better overall, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah, there is... You need a minute. Yeah, you, you do need a minute. And so, yeah, uh, my winding down might be watching um, something on Netflix, uh, although mm-hmm. that that is actually becoming less common because as the kids get older, there's only certain shows that I feel comfortable watching in front of them. Oh, right. So <laughs> lately we've been <laughs> watching Fuller House together as a yeah. family. Yeah, oh my God, that's funny. So. <laughs> Jacob just put that on last night. <laughs> So I'll, we'll do stuff like Good, that, yeah. um, which um, I like that show. I probably wouldn't watch it on my own right. without without my kids. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. It's a good family show. Right. Love to read. And um, yeah. you talked about wanting to get micro with people that are quote unquote high achieving. I, I love reading books on people who have achieved things. So I, yeah. I will read inspirational books. I will read um, books by thought leaders i'm 
Do you have a favorite that you like? You know, as, as I was coming over here, uh, I saw that I was driving on Louis Zamperini Highway. Um, and uh, obviously there's a, a, a book about his life, um, about how he um, was a, an Olympic runner and how he um, was captured by the Japanese and uh, all the things that he accomplished in his life afterwards. And so I love books like that. Um, Overcoming something. Right, yeah. right. I've recently been reading um, a Michael Phelps autobiography just to sort of yeah. see how he views swimming and views the world. Um, there's, I'm always looking for books by people like that. Right, that's interesting. In your line of work, um, what do you think is essential to become a successful or just become a pediatric surgeon? What do you think are qualities, like a key quality to the success of your profession? I think the key qualities are different for different specialties in medicine. Right. But I think for a pediatric surgeon or a general surgeon, uh, the one thing that you really need is, is grit. Uh, grit is the sort of the, the newer, trendier word. Um, I think a more old school word is just heart. Um, you have to be able to persevere. You have to have mental toughness. You have to have a thick skin. You have to be willing to sort of put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Right. I think a lot of pediatric and general surgeons really have a lot of street smarts as well. Mm -hmm. um, another word for that is just common sense. Um, you want a surgeon with good common sense. Mm -hmm. um, that sometimes... can think on their feet on the fly if something's, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes some of the more out there, deeper thinkers, um, they can thrive in pediatric surgery, but sometimes they can thrive in specialties where more unusual esoteric thought is needed. Right. Um, I think a good surgeon needs to have courage um, especially a pediatric surgeon, again, you are often faced with certain clinical situations uh, where a life is on the line, where there's mm -hmm. legitimate danger for the patient. and uh, But at the same time, they need somebody to take care of them. They need somebody to step in when right. the situation is grim. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a good surgeon needs to have courage. Right. And then finally, I think um, the best surgeons, the best doctors, um, need to be able to connect with families they need yeah. to have that have that warmth or some sort of human touch exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah um what is we're gonna go here what is something you would like to myth bust about your profession so speaking as a nurse here you know mm -hmm. i know there's some things that come to mind when you think like surgeon you know the stereotype but is there something you'd like to myth bust about it well what comes to your mind when you think about uh, surgeons that are personality-wise? Let's see. Um, I don't want to say. Like I just think that maybe a disconnect sometimes when you just feel like it, there's certain surgeons, and I would say you're not one of them. But I would say there's certain surgeons come in and it's like very quick. Like you, you know, you're just going to the point. Um, uh, you know, condescending, uh, rude sometimes, or you know, doesn't take the time to teach. I think we are in a swing of a new, fun, amazing generation of surgeons. But, you know, there's that stereotype that, you know, surgeons can be a certain way. Yeah, I, I agree. And and obviously that was one of the myths that uh, I had embraced when I was a med student. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to go into surgery. But I do think that that is um, sort of an exaggerated stereotype. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, there are people in my profession that are 
as you described. Mm-hmm. But there are people like that in really well, any Well, I'll say profession. there's nurses like that, too. Exactly. <laughs> we have some pretty tough nurses, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think back in the day, um, surgeons might also have been taught either directly or indirectly to be like that, to be a little bit disengaged. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was uh, in an effort to be able to deliver surgery or, or care better. Um, maybe it also attracted people with that personality to surgery, mm-hmm. but, um, so many things have changed as you mentioned over the past several years. And, and I don't think that that is the, the typical model of surgeons these days. Yeah. Um, so, uh, most surgeons that I know, um, yes, we, we all have our moments, but, but right. for the most part, they're normal, good people that well, can connect say, in a normal human way. You know, way. I think too, part of this is you guys are working in very high stress situations. So I think it's a little piece of, you know, when you're doing that on such a high level and it's like you have to, you feel like you have to explain things at such a, for you probably at a low, not a lower level, but you have to do it over and over and over and over. I guess that could be wearing, you know, I could see that as, you know, if you're, you know, in such high stress situations and you're like, well, this is like very basic for me, or, you know, you just kind of need to get through things. And, you know, I could see that as being part of your job, you know, it can be a little taxing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably the other part that plays into it is just that a lot of surgeons um, are tired. Yeah. Um, And uh, we do take in-house call and we are up all night. And so sometimes we do have that moment where we're a little short with people. Right. That's what I was going to say. In the middle of the night. Right. And um, (laughs) for that, all, all I can say is, you know, I hope people will forgive us in that moment. Yeah. Um. As far as myths, I guess, that I'd like to tackle, I mean, there's probably two that have less to do with surgical personalities. Um, Number one, I just really, really think so highly of Chalk, of Children's Hospital of Orange County. It's such a a great place. The care there is just fantastic. And we can really take on pretty much anything, any clinical condition, and do it well at Chalk. Mm -hmm. I'm just amazed by the quality of care that is delivered, not just by my colleague pediatric surgeons, but but by the neonatologists, by the NICU nurses, by so many different specialties. And so I think if you are a family that lives in our region, you can rest assured knowing that your children are going to be cared for in the highest manner. You certainly don't need to fly 4,000 miles to the East Coast to some of those places where where I trained. Um, I've seen the care there. It is also excellent, but um, you can get that same quality of care here. I do feel like it's interesting um, having worked in... So I've worked in now seven different organizations within the LA and Orange County area. And it's really interesting to me because I do feel like you just... In certain organizations, you feel that... Um, like the energy with people and you just understand that like you know when you're working with colleagues that you like and it's easy and it works well and it's a good team and when you're in that environment it really makes it so much easier as a provider when you really love where you work exactly and people are on the same level of you and wanting to give the same kind of care it makes a big difference i guess is what i'm saying Uh, yeah i I completely agree and i see that chalk right now is in a sweet spot it's um 
again, it's grown significantly. It's no longer a, a little hospital within an adult hospital. It's its own large freestanding children's hospital, but it still is a place with community, um, which perhaps some of the larger hospitals um, might have lost or they may not have it to the same degree that we have at Chalk. Um, the other myth, I guess, that I would like to sort of bust is for any um, kids or young adults that might be listening to this podcast. Um, Tori was really nice in saying that I am quote unquote high achieving, but I really believe that I'm sort of just a regular, I, I one point was just a regular kid, just like everybody else that wanted to do something meaningful. And I sort of labored and persevered to get to where I am. Mm -hmm. And I really think that anybody else can, can do the same thing too. You don't have to, um, you know, go to Harvard. Um, you, yes, you do need good grades. Uh, but most importantly, you really need, um, to just persist yep. and to consistently work hard and yeah. you can achieve whatever you want, whether it be pediatric surgery or, or anything else. I agree. I feel like it's funny in my first episode, I opened up my journey to become a nurse was actually really tough. I um, I applied several times to nursing school. <laughs> there was a lot. There's a big long journey, but um, something that I did was I did not give up and I just persist, kind of like what you're saying. And I think that if you want to be in this space and you really do kind of like you're saying want to make a difference and you want to get into that area, I think that's a big piece, a great piece of advice is just keep going. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to find your way. And everyone's journey is a little different, right? I mean, kind of like you said, you don't have to go to a certain institution or school or find your job at the very first place. But if you keep going and you get into, you're going to find your way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my guess is that those quote unquote failures that you had early mm -hmm. on um, taught you the most. 100%. And that's the same with, with yeah. me. It's the same with everybody. The those failures are just so valuable. And they really are. That kind of goes back towards um, my original comment about embracing the pain. You have to embrace those yes. failures too. Yep, you really do. Going more personal, what is a day, I mean, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what is a day in the life or like a day off look for? like? Those few days that you get off, what do those look like for you now? Yeah, we, those are getting fewer and farther uh, between. They're hard to come by these mm -hmm. days. Yeah. Um, uh, largely because work is busy and my wife also works and then the kids always have their 50,000 activities to do. I'm sure a lot of parents out there can relate to this, yeah. this part of our lives. Yeah. Um, la last month in January, it was an unusually busy month. I think I was on call about 17 days in the month. So I uh, didn't really get a lot of days off then. And the few days off that I had, again, were spent with kids' activities. Uh, we had my oldest son's uh, birthday party. So there's a bunch of boys sleeping over at our house, which was really fun, but <laughs> yeah. not terribly relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I would imagine. But a perfect day off, um, perfect day off would be a sunny day, which I'm so blessed to live in Southern California where we can get sunny days frequently. Um, I would obviously have a great swim. I would um, have coffee and a conversation with my wife, which is mm -hmm. really precious to have. And, and we just don't get to do that too much. I, I know yeah. there will be a time when we do get to do that again. But um, coffee and conversation with my wife is is something that I really enjoy. I think um, it's those little moments. Jacob and I, I mean, we're not nearly, I don't think we're nearly as busy as you are. But I think taking that little moment at time is really important in your relationship. 
Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I like to cook and I like to um, experiment with making cocktails, although I, I really that. don't yeah. drink very much. Um, but, but mixology is such a thing because it's like it's not really about the drink, right? It's about yeah. like the flavors and getting exactly. getting fun with it. Yeah, know? and everything fresh and in a, a beautiful presentation. Yeah. So. What do you like to cook? Um, I'll cook anything. I mean, I, I go through phases when I was eating more meat. I was sort of um, uh, grilling stuff. Lately, I've been making more vegan things because I've been eating more of a plant-based diet. And right. so, um, I love that. Yeah, I usually get great recipes from New York Times cooking. Um, mm, okay. I like to make uh, cocktails, like I said. Yeah. I, I like to make like just a really, really good margarita. Oh, nice. Um, I... Um, Jalapeno margs have been my thing lately. Yeah, mm-hmm. delicious. My wife loves spicy. those too. Um, okay. Afternoon might be going for a long run or doing something with the kids. Uh, we all like to swim together or maybe get in the hot tub or something. And then one of our favorite family activities would be to go to the lot, um, which is in Fashion Island. Actually, they're sort of scattered throughout Southern California, but it's one of those movie theaters where you can eat food or order a drink where the the, the seats are really um, big and they Luxurious. recline. Yeah. We, we probably only go maybe once or twice a year, but when we go, we really, really enjoy it. Uh, getting a little nursey on you here. Do you have, or like, is there a story in mind or something, a patient that touched you or maybe changed your practice or affected you in a way, good or bad? All right, before we dive into that, I want to get specific about what I'm wearing. Majority of my home time is yoga pants, and the other part is jeans and barn boots. But my work life is scrubs. I've been a Barco uniforms girl since day one. From the fit, tailored look, fabric feels, and longevity, this is the only brand I have worn throughout my nursing career. I'm partial to the Grey's Anatomy line, and let's get micro on this, specifically their signature line. That is my go-to. I'm also a huge fan of the newer Edge line. It is very sleek. Barco Scrubs has been curating scrubs since 1929, a 91-year company. How many companies can you say have been around for 91 years? If you're interested in joining the Barco Brigade today, head over to www.barcouniforms.com forward slash stores to find a retailer near you. Thank you, Barco, for your paid partnership. And let's get back to the show. Yeah, I think those stories, small and large, happen all day, every day, which is one of the greatest things about medicine and, and specifically about surgery. Um, surgery is a little bit different because um, when you operate, there's almost an overnight or instant improvement um, in your patient. And so um, uh, so I, I get to have that all day, every day. Um, probably one of the... Um, most impactful, most meaningful um, uh, lessons and relationships and uh, that sort of thing that I've had with patients have come um, in the families and the patients that I've cared for where I've made an error, where I've had complications. Um, I uh, am happy to say that those errors or complications are few and far between as, mm-hmm. as they should be for, for a surgeon. Right. But when they happen... Um, they'll, they'll happen to anybody and, um, the families, um, that I've taken care of where I've had complications, we've actually 
become closer yeah. than in families where there was instant success. Right. I was actually just going to ask you that. Like, you know, there's so much pressure on your line of work, right? Mm-hmm. So, and things do go wrong. So that's an interesting point that you guys, you kind of connect in that way with yeah. your patients in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, those, um, I think really what I've learned um, overall and what I'd pass on to younger people in medicine or, or people who are in med school is um, that obviously nobody wants a complication for themselves or for their child, but something that I've learned um, that families really want is they want somebody that will be there with them from start to finish. And so if something happens, but you are there and committed to them or to their children, um, uh, that is a, a really meaningful bond that you can share right. uh, with those families. And um, that is more important than than anything. Yeah, it's something that sticks with you, which is why we'll get into your social media in a minute, but I love that you have that connection with that. Um, and you're starting to, I don't know, it's kind of fun to see that relationship happening. So I am obviously a NICU nurse by nature, and I'm really interested in, um, you're doing some research, and I'd like to touch on that a little bit because some of it is sort of NICU-based, but do you want to touch on your research a little bit? Yeah, sure, I'd love to. Um, So first of all, I work with one of my partners, Dr. Yeet Gunner, uh, who's a pediatric surgeon Mm -hmm. at Chalk also, Mm -hmm. and uh, I can't give Yeet enough credit. He really is the engine behind all the research that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm really proud of our research because we've really published a lot. Yeah, um, We're really um, sort of moving the ball forward. And it's great because Chalk many years ago was not thought of as a research-oriented children's hospital, but right. um, we are sort of rewriting that story. Um, yeah. We do research on congenital diaphragmatic hernia, which is a... a an anomaly or a birth defect that some babies are born with. Mm-hmm. We do trauma research, and we're also doing some research in fetal fetal medicine and, and surgery as well. How do you, uh, this is like a side tangent on this, but how do you um, qualify for the research or how does the process go when you guys are, you know, kind of going through the process of doing all this? Um, well, first of all, you have to have the support of um, your boss mm-hmm. or from of your partners because when you're when you're dedicating time to doing research and research takes a considerable amount of time um, you're not operating you're right. not doing all those other tasks that you need to do mm-hmm. and so our division chief uh, dr. David Gibbs has been extremely supportive as have the other members of our group so uh, we're really fortunate to have that support um, we have uh, been successful in um, uh, uh, winning grant money. Um, there's, for instance, uh, an annual grant um, internally at Chalk, which supports our research, which we've had the good fortune of winning um, uh-huh. a few times. Um, and so that kind of pays for, um, you know, all the the costs of the research that we do which is expensive and i think that's something that we you know we don't talk a lot about that but it is it's very expensive to do a lot of these these big research right a lot a lot of our research is um again it's sort of database and outcomes oriented so it's something that we can do using computers we don't really need to have um a giant lab with like right. beakers and test tubes and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Right. Um, although it is our dream to be able to do, do it. research like that as right. well. 
what's the goal with the CDH? Because um, so something I've talked about on my platform or kind of driving people to a little bit and using as a resource is the Neo Heart Conference, which they're really going into for all of you NICU nurses or if you're in the NICU world. I, this is a little bit of plug for them. It's a conference that has been developed and one of their big topics in the conference is CDH. Um, can you speak to that research a little bit or sort of what you guys are in the works of, of wanting to figure out about the diagnosis? Yeah, I think CDH is a really fascinating topic um, for pediatric surgeons. Uh, I know Eat Gunner, my mm-hmm. part, my research partner and my clinical partner, just loves CDH research. In fact, he just came back from a CDH conference. Nice. Um, but it's a problem where there's a hole in the diaphragm, which is the muscle that divides the chest from the abdomen. And um, that hole can be fixed surgically. But the bigger issue with CDH is that those babies are born with small lungs, and there's extremely high blood pressure in the lungs, something called pulmonary hypertension. And so it is a really, really tough problem to deal with. And so our research has kind of looked at so many different aspects of CDH. I mean, we've we've already published many, many papers on this, but we'll look at um, predicting um, who will be, which babies will be extremely sick after birth. Uh, we look at which babies might need something called ECMO which is the heart-lung bypass machine, which is sort of the last resort um, option for babies with very severe pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary hypoplasia. We look at um, certain complications related with ECMO. We've looked at uh, where the best places to deliver if if you know that you're pregnant and are expecting a baby with CDH. So we've kind of tackled many different topics on this. How often is it detected? Well, um, I know it's off the top of your head. Sorry, but is there like a, or is it, yeah, or maybe undiagnosed? I'm curious. Yeah. So, um, so there's about 2000 to, or I'm sorry, there's about uh, the rate of CDH is um, one in around 2000 to 3000 live births. Mm -hmm. So at a place like Orange County, um, we might see anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 babies with CDH a year. Um, as far as, uh, the prenatal detection rate, it's usually detected at about 68%. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means, uh, of all babies with CDH that are born, usually 68% are that's detected before birth. Right. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. I don't know. Just, uh, that's sort of a big forefront thing now is just really understanding, you know, like pre-birth, you know, what things are we catching? Why are we not, or, you know, can we catch it sooner? You know, those kinds of things. So it's really interesting that you guys are on the forefront of that. Right. That's the whole crux of, of fetal medicine and surgery. Um, back in the day, even 10, 20 years ago, um, we as a medical field were not that great at detecting these birth defects. Right. And so after birth, um, we'd encounter very sick babies and we wish that we would have been more prepared or um, could have done something maybe even in utero or in other words during pregnancy to to improve or fix that problem mm-hmm. but nowadays um, our technology has improved to the point where we're really good at detecting these birth defects before mm-hmm. delivery right and so we can counsel patients we can plan and even in certain rare situations we can even operate before birth 
to fix these defects so the babies will be better afterwards. Right. And it's so cool to know. It's really wonderful to know that you guys are so in- engaged in that. Do you have a um, a favorite surgery or like something you like? Like what what's your specialty? Like what would you say is your thing that you like to do? Um, so the... I mean, I really enjoy all aspects of pediatric surgery. It's a really broad field. So one of the the draws for me was being able to do many, many different operations. Mm-hmm. Um, you I like do... the general, like more of a general approach. Like, yes, right, right, right. yes. So I still enjoy that. Um, but um, I do operate on babies uh, very often, especially babies with birth defects very often. And that's because... Um, we have great maternal fetal medicine doctors who are doing the diagnosis before birth so that I can meet those families and counsel them so that they know what to expect. Um, personally, I end up doing a lot of minimally invasive lung surgery, uh-huh. uh, specifically for prenatal diagnosis of something called CPAM or um, uh, BPS or... Um, bronchial atresia or other congenital lung problems. So I know I just kind of spewed out a lot of initials, but bottom line is I do a lot of minimally invasive surgery for uh, lung problems in babies. If you could turn back time, go back to the future to yourself when you were 20, what would you tell yourself? Uh, In terms of like what what advice I would give myself? Yeah, what advice would you give yourself? I mean, there's several things. I mean, like any 20-year-old, I um, knew some things and didn't know way more other things. Um, I've, I guess at this point in my life, I would go back and um, I would tell myself a few different things. Number one, I think um, uh, the path to success is consistency. Um, You don't have to go and study 10 hours in one day Mm -hmm. you don't have to go uh, to the pool or the weight room and work out for 15 hours in one day Mm -hmm. Um, but you do have to put in good effort consistently day Mm -hmm. after day small pieces at Mm -hmm. a time exactly so Mm -hmm. um, I I really think that consistency pays off in the long run yeah Um, perseverance exactly there's a saying in surgery, maybe in other fields as well, that the enemy of good is perfect. And as a perfectionist, I always want things to be perfect. But sometimes good or even really good yeah. is is really what you should shoot for. And mm-hmm. When you shoot for perfection, um, it can really derail you the minute that something becomes imperfect. So um, I've kind of learned um, to be happy with good or really good and uh, to stop going for perfection. Um, And I guess the last thing, uh, it's another quote from sports, but um, Billie Jean King, the great um, female tennis champion, um, she said um, that pressure is a privilege. And um, you have to sort of, I mean, sometimes people want to shy away from pressure, but if you're feeling pressure, if you have pressure, uh, you've earned that. And um, uh, it's really a privilege to have. It's a privilege to be in that situation where other people are looking at you to, to perform. And so yeah. um, I hold that very dear as well. What is the best piece of advice that you've been given? Do you feel like has someone given you something that you hold with you? Sure. Um, the, the number one thing goes back to something that I learned from swimming, which we discussed earlier, which is 
Don't try to control the uncontrollables. Yeah. There's so many things in any given day that you can't control. You can't control somebody else's attitude. You can't control the weather. Uh, you might wake up tired or not feeling at the top of your, your game. You can't control that. All you can really control is, is your own attitude, your own effort, and um, try to make the, the best uh, that you can out of any given situation. And so that, to me, that is the best advice that I've ever been given. And I'm really thankful that I was taught that. All right. So it's no lie. I'm obviously obsessed with social media. I love it. I popped on, I don't know, a couple of years ago. It's been become a part of sort of my nurse life. And fun fact, Dr. Yu has also started sharing a little bit of his journey, his surgical group um, on social media as well. Can we talk a little bit about this? How did this all begin? Yeah, sure. I'm, um, I enjoy social media. I wouldn't say I'm like <laughs> Mr. Social Media. Right. Uh, again, maybe I'm a little older and just sort of uh, caught the shoulder of social media. Yeah. Um, but um, overall, our group sort of recognized um, a need uh, or a gap in our social media presence. And as you know, it's it's so yeah. important these days um, uh, to get the word out there of the great work that we're doing here at Chalk. And so um, I just wanted to start something and um, yeah. sought the permission of Chalk and sought the support of our pediatric surgery group and um, just started to make posts. And I think most of our posts are really not about us. Um, I really think yeah. that the best stories are, are not about the surgeons, but about the patients. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we've been pleasantly surprised that it's been well received. Um, I, uh, I think that uh, what I've observed is that um, a lot of moms actually uh, derive a lot of comfort mm -hmm. uh, in seeing these social media posts um, because their children are going through something that other moms and other children it's have relatable. already gone through yeah. and have gone through and, and done well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm happy to be able to use um, the tool of social media to bring sort of uh, anxiety relief and stress relief to some moms. Mm -hmm. um, so overall, Instagram has been sort of an experiment for us, but it's something that's, that's <laughs> well, you're turning out well. Oh, you're thank you. You're doing great. The, give yourself a shout out real quick. It's, it's Secret Lives of Surgeons. Right? Oh, yes. Uh, sorry. See, that that just goes to show how, <laughs> how <laughs> naive I am to all of social media. But yes, it, it is um, at Secret Lives of Surgeons. It's um, amazing. Thank you so much. So I'll speak to that a little bit because I think, so the part of, for me, of the reason I'm coming on to the social media has been sort of to make a relatable um, picture of what it's like a day in and a day life, day in and day out of being a nurse, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of the things that we go through. And I actually think it's interesting because although you say people don't find the life of the surgeon interesting, I find it very interesting. And I think it's really, really helpful to almost know People like to see, you know, who's caring for their child. And also kind of what you're saying is you're making this community. You're creating a community there where people, like you say, moms can go to and people who've gone through these things together and they can kind of bond on that. And it's interesting because I think we're on this forefront of providers and patients really kind of coming together. And so I brought Tony Adkins on. Uh, he's a pediatric neurosurgery PA and he... Uh, is very heavily in the social media. And it's interesting because I posed this question to him because I think social media can be a little taboo 
in the healthcare space. But I lo- I think it's really important. Can you speak to this a little bit or how you feel as far as the taboo part of it? First of all, I think Tony is a great person and he's really done some amazing things with his social media. And he he really kind of blew everything out of the water. I mean, with his whole dancing Dancing, with the the patients, um, Mm -hmm. he basically said, you know what, I'm just going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that. Um, But yeah, it it social media can be seen as taboo, um, especially in a field as uh, sort of serious Mm -hmm. as uh, pediatric surgery. And I do have to admit, um, having uh, trained at some of these more old school institutions like Boston Children's Hospital and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, I was a little bit sensitive as to how it might be viewed by my mentors. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think two things. Number one, you can't live your life according to how others expect you to live, especially um, these more old school mentors. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I hold them in the highest regard. There's nothing. Yes, I agree. But um, but we do live in a, a different time and place now. And then number two, um, really, this Instagram page has evolved into something where I really see it as for the moms and for the kids. Yeah, you know your audience. Exactly. Right. And, and so I really see that moms and kids and families get something positive out of this. Right. And so if they're getting something positive out of this, then I, I view it as a good thing and, yeah. and full steam ahead. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I do think that there's, um, as far as social media presence goes, you know, there's a tasteful way to do it. And I think especially getting to know your audience is a big part of it. And I love that because you kind of narrow down on, you know, who you're speaking to, uh, you know what your goals are. And I love it. I think it's really interesting, even as just a nurse, you know, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And I love that you're sort of, I think it's a little bit on the cutting edge for healthcare you know there's a, there's a couple healthcare accounts that are really popping up that I think are useful and very you know it's a resource and um so thank you and I think your your team is doing awesome you guys are killing it with that well thank you and thanks for all that you do on oh, social well, media well thank you uh, yeah this is is fabulous what piece of advice do you have for if someone's thinking like okay I want to get into general surgery you're talking to your 20 year old right now who, you know, is trying to start their process of going into med school or they're thinking about becoming a surgeon, what piece of advice do you have for them or pieces of wisdom? Well, I would just make it simple and I would just say show up. <laughs> That's um, a good one. <laughs> when if you're, it doesn't matter if you're going into some medical field or, or anything, uh, showing up is, you know, half yeah. the battle right Key. there. Um, if you are a student and a professor invites you to go to some conference mm-hmm. or gives you some opportunity, yeah, take advantage of that. Right. If um, network exactly. Yes. If somebody invites you to a party or a social function and you're tired, go go. <laughs> yep. As 100%. a as a surgeon, if somebody invites you to say come to the operating room and Go. observe a case yes. show up mm-hmm. um, I think that that really is is very very important um, and I think the reason why people don't take those opportunities I think there's two reasons number one they're tired yeah. um, and 
you know, to that, I would just say you, you can sleep later. Yep. And then number two, I think even bigger than that, people are worried that they'll fail. You know, if they go to a party or a social function, that that'll be awkward. Right. If they are invited to the operating room, that right. the surgeon will ask them some hard questions or make them uncomfortable. I would say, forget about that. You may fail, but you are far more likely to succeed than to fail. Well, without those failures, where exactly. are you going to be? You know, you have to, I don't know. I'm a big believer in overcoming your failures and really using those to propel yourself to do even better. You're mm-hmm. going to learn from them. You can't succeed the whole time. That's just like, that's unrealistic. It's right. so unrealistic. Exactly. And, and not only that, but if you succeeded all the time, you would really be not learning any truly valuable lessons. Right. I mean, ultimately, all the things that we do, um, they're going to be forgotten. Even, even if they're huge, huge things, at some point they will be forgotten with the passage of time. But what's more important is that you learn how to be a better person internally. And, and those failures are, are what's going to teach you those yeah. things. Yes. Well, Dr. Peter Yu. Thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot believe this. Before we go, um, do you have a piece, um, a useful tip, resource, Netflix? I know you kind of mentioned a couple things on here, but do you have anything that you think would be a good takeaway for our listeners? Um, I don't have any one useful tip um, because, I mean, so many people out there that, that might be listening to this podcast probably want different things for their lives. But I would say nowadays with social media, with the internet, with YouTube, with all of this, that content and lessons and a direct um, method of hearing from leaders in whatever field, it's all out there. I think 30 years ago, if you wanted to be a professional basketball player or be a surgeon or run for senate or do whatever mm-hmm. you were kind of flying blind and hope hoping that yeah um, you could figure it out and maybe get a little lucky nowadays you can learn from the leaders in any field they have all these posts they have google youtube you can find it so <laughs> yeah, yeah. just put in the effort to learn from yeah. learn from those people who've already made it and, i think and, that's a great tip actually it's funny because i get a lot of questions and sometimes the questions I get, I'm like, well, you could Google that. <laughs> I'm like, right. that's very easy to find. Right. You can find someone in some space right now that's putting out some good quality content. And there's and there's lessons to be learned. I mean, if you're not interested in surgery, you can still learn from a surgeon. If you're not interested in swimming, you can still learn from right. a swimmer. If you're not interested in, you know, becoming president, you can still learn from people in politics. Good point is taking away, like, for example, you're taking away a lot of really valuable things from people that are actually not surgeons, Mm -hmm. right? So you're taking away from athletes, you're taking away from, you know, people that you are sort of aspiring to and learning from them. And that's something that I've been, I feel like in my space, um, at least with like social media and moving into this new realm, I'm learning from people out for sure outside of the healthcare field. So it's interesting that, you know, that's a great tip to kind of, you know, learn from any form of uh, successful person that you're looking towards or just taking a little piece from yep. that person. So. Yep, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Um, before we leave, really quick, give yourself another shout out. Where can everyone find you? Um, 
you can follow us on uh, at Secret Lives of Surgeons. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah. if your kids are sick, then and there's a link we're in his at bio. Shop. There's a link in the bio if you guys are more curious. You can go more in depth into their um, their surgery group. Yes, yes. And I also want to just give a shout out to uh, not only Chalk, but more specifically the great pediatric surgeons that I work with in my group. David yeah. Gibbs is our boss, Mustafa Kabir, Yeet Gunner, Troy oh, Reyna, Saida Wan, and Mariam Galizadeh. They are just wonderful partners. They are wonderful surgeons. I would trust any one of them to operate and take care of my very own children. And so I can't I can't say enough good things about this group that I'm blessed to work with. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you guys are, you know, changing lives of all of our kids. So thank well, we you. Can't, we can't do it without great nurses. Like <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for coming in today. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I truly value your time and look forward to bringing you more selfie shows. In order to support the show, please head over to rate and review the show. Let me know what you thought. I really want to hear from you. And I also have some exciting news. So we just started with some small selfie swag. So if you leave your Insta handle in the review, I will send over some of our super cute stickers and a selfie badge reel featuring Selena with our selfie icon. Be sure to be following us on our Insta at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find all of our episodes on www tipsfromtory.com and check out those show notes below they have lots of information about our guests and sponsors and thank you so much for listening catch you guys next time